Good morning. We are in this last sermon series on freedom, taking a look at uh, the whole book of Galatians. We've talked about uh, freedom from law. We've talked about uh, the freedom uh, that we have in Jesus Christ and how uh, many have come along and tried to uh, take that freedom from the Christians that were in Galatia. And today, uh, we're going to close up this whole conversation about an example that Paul gives about freedom and practice. Uh, so if you want to follow along in your notes and uh, follow along in your, your Bibles, we're going to start in chapter 6 and just read the first five verses. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin... You who are spiritual should restore them gently, but watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And each one should test his own actions, then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. Let's pray. You are great. Father, we, we can't say thank you enough. That we can come around this time to give you this glory, to give you these songs of praise, to read this scripture that speaks to who you are and who you want us to be. And so I pray, Lord, that as we study, I pray that your spirit will move among us in such a way that we can see clearly your truth, that you will open up our hearts and our minds, and that your spirit will guide us this morning in your truth. And Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Simeon the Stylite lived in the 5th century A.D. near Aleppo, which is in modern-day Syria. Simeon was converted to Christianity at a young age, at 13 years old. And by the age of 16, he decided he wanted to join a monastery. His practice of austerity was so extreme that he was actually asked to leave the monastery. Simeon became a hermit, and he lived in a tiny hut for a year and a half, where it was said that he passed all of Lent without eating or drinking, and hailed a miracle. He then moved to a tiny little mound on the side of a mountain, and people came from all around to ask him for prayer, healing, or counsel. Simeon found that he lost the time that he desired for devotionals, and so he moved to Aleppo, where he found this pillar that was six feet high and about 11 square feet. So he lived on top of this stylite, this pillar, for 37 years until he died in 459 A.D. 
Last week we talked about crucifying the sinful nature, right? So that we can make room for the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to judge or criticize this saint of the Orthodox Church, but I have to ask, is this what Paul had in mind when he said to crucify the sinful nature? Did Simeon's extreme lifestyle produce the kind of fruit or community that Paul envisioned for the Galatian church. Notice the patterns of his life. Simeon was asked to leave a monastic community because of extreme pattern in his life. Simeon lived as a hermit and had to move twice to get away from people. And then Simeon's final move was to live six feet above everyone else. When Paul asks us to crucify the sinful nature, and when Paul encourages us to live in freedom that we find in grace, we start to have questions about what exactly that looks like. And so Paul gives a very practical example in the Galatian church that I hope we can apply to our own lives this morning. The practical example uses the Greek word baros, which we can translate and we see here in the NIV as translated burden or weight or it's a load. It's a burden that no one should ever carry on their own. Last fall, after my mother passed away, my sisters and I gathered at my oldest sister's house. The nieces and nephews, they all gathered together uh, so that we could go swimming and just and just kind of spend some time as a family. And I remember one morning, uh, all of us kind of gathered in the kitchen. And my nieces and nephews were there. And, and right next to the kitchen, we have this weight room. Or my sister has this weight room. And so my children, as well as my younger sister's children, were all really excited to learn about what these weights do. I don't know much about them, but I try to explain them to them. Evan is the oldest of the boys in our mix. He quickly sat down, and he was ready to bench press 100 pounds. I said, whoa, Evan, why don't you let me spot you? But he said, nah, I'm good. I spotted him anyways and saved him from crushing his chest. You know, if you think about weightlifting, what you'll notice in the gyms or really anywhere else is when someone bench presses, they always have a spotter. It doesn't matter how strong you are, it's good to have a spotter. That weight isn't meant to be carried alone. And I'm reminded of the time that Paul needed to be spotted. It was a uh, when he wrote to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 7, he asked the church, uh, he commended the church for sending Titus. Read these words with me. For when he came to Macedonia, we had no rest, Paul writes. We were harassed at every turn. There were conflicts on the outside and there were fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us. By the coming of Titus. Now Paul was in a bad shape. 
he was definitely carrying a load, a weight that one should not carry alone. And God, through the church, sent relief. And Titus, who was able to help him bear that burden. And I think that's why we read in verse 2 that we're supposed to carry each other's burdens. But you get to verse 5, and Paul says that each one of us should carry our own load. That word also is translated burden, but it's a different word. It's fortion. And that translates to a burden that doesn't need a whole lot of help. It's kind of like a backpack or a purse. And I think that Paul is saying that this burden, no matter whatever it is, this burden is a responsibility for the individual to bear. Maybe it's a responsibility that one has to bear before God. Maybe Paul is encouraging the church to bear one another's burden, and then each one of us then are responsible to bear a, bear a burden before God. Maybe that burden is whether or not we loved our neighbor. Maybe that burden was whether or not we truly loved God. Whether we are pitching in to help out or ignoring our brothers and sisters, each one of us are going to be judged. We're going to have a burden that we'll have to bear in responsibility before God. And I think that's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, when he said, come to me, those of you who are weary and heavy laden, heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle, I am humble in heart, Jesus says, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Jesus is comparing his offering of grace to the legalistic religious leaders of the city. We will all be responsible to God one day And folks, I'm grateful that I get to carry the load of grace. There's a story I read this week about a Christian man. He was waiting for a bus at a bus stop. He was thinking about his busy day ahead, and he noticed that there was a little boy sitting at the bench, and he was working on a little puzzle. The bus pulls up to the corner, and then all of a sudden, everyone rushes to get on board. Uh, several people maybe bump that, that bench, or he's not sure what happened, but the puzzles ended up everywhere. Those pieces were everywhere, and the people began to trample them as they hurried to board the bus. But the Christian man, he stopped. The bus moves on, and that Christian man and the boy, they gather every last piece, and After the pieces were picked up, the boy looks at the man and says, are you Jesus? I mean, I love it. We were talking in Sunday school about what it means to shine the light. And the boy saw the reflection of Jesus and that man. The Christian saved by grace stepped out and shared grace with this boy 
And I think that's a good application to the, today's passage. An idea of sharing one another's burdens because we've been given the burden of grace. I also think that Paul has another intent to the Galatians. You see, when I see the word burden, and maybe when you see it, I think about being overwhelmed. I think about my life being like a puzzle that's just scattered among the ground. But look at Paul's direct illustration to help the Galatians know how to carry each other's burden. Reread verse 1 with me. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. And when you read through this text, especially chapter 6, you might see that it seems like Paul is all over the place, kind of like a popcorn advice. But if you think within the context of the Galatian church, you might see that verse 1 ties into verses 2 through 5 quite well. Remember, the Galatians are being rebuked because of legalistic pride, forcing Gentiles to follow customs instead of grace. And it causes me to wonder and ask the question, how might the legalistic person in the Galatian church respond to someone who's caught in sin? And my guess is, Probably not super well, right? Maybe, the, maybe Paul is encouraging the church to be a place where the burden of sin can be shared. Oh, but that is so difficult. Within the Galatian church, it was difficult because you have a lot of judgmental, legalistic people. And if you showed your sin, you were going to get called out, probably in public, and it was going to be ugly. In the Christian church today, maybe it's because we want to make sure everybody knows we got it all together. My slate's clean. I'm good. I'm good. A few years ago, there was a man who was coaching a team of eight-year-olds in baseball. He had a few really, really good players. I'm talking Malachi Gardner-type players. You know what I'm talking about, Karen. But then they had those kids that just didn't get the hang of the game. That was probably me when I was little, right? The guy's team didn't win one game all season long. And then it came down to that last game, right? It's almost like out of a movie. It was the last inning of the game. His team was down by one run. They had two outs, and guess who was up to plate? Not Malachi. It was this kind of kid. He had never hit the ball once. He'd never caught the ball once. And with two outs, he swings, and he got a single. Oh, the cheering was crazy, right? He finally got a hit. And the next batter, Malachi. This kid can crush the ball over the fence, and maybe we might win a game. 
He was the team slugger. And the slugger connected on the first pitch. And guess what? The little boy on first base, he caught it. <laughs> That's the game. Game over. Immediately, you know what the coach did? He encouraged his team to cheer. He didn't have any sense of the rules of the game. He didn't know that he just lost the game for his friends. But the boy was beaming because his teammates were cheering. He had caught the ball finally. He had hit the ball finally. Both for the first time. You know, as Jesus was speaking... There were the teachers of the law. There were the religious leaders. There were the Pharisees of the day. And they figured they would catch Jesus this time. And so they brought Jesus, a woman who had been caught in adultery. Woo! That wouldn't go in Galatia, and that sure wouldn't go here. And they put her right in front of the crowd Teacher, they said this woman was caught in the act of adultery and the law of Moses demands that we stone this woman. What do you say? Now they were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against them, but Jesus didn't say anything. He just stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. And they kept demanding an answer. What, what do you say, Jesus? What do you say? And he stood up and he said this, all right, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again and began riding in the dust. The accusers, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the perfect ones, folks, they began to walk away, one by one, beginning with the oldest to the youngest. And nobody was left except that woman and Jesus, who's still doodling in the ground. Jesus stood up again. He looked at her and said, where are your accusers? Didn't even one condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. She knew. She knew what she did. Je Jesus knew what she did. Everyone knew what she did. We didn't have to make a spectacle out of her. She doesn't really need to jump through any hoops. She needs to repent, be forgiven, and move on. This morning, maybe you might have a burden of sin that you are carrying. Maybe you look around and you say, there's some religious elites in this room who don't have sin. I want to tell you that we've all got it. And even back in Jesus' day, 
the Pharisees and the religious leaders couldn't even say they were without sin. So maybe you're overwhelmed, maybe you're stressed out, maybe you're covered in sin. You might be surprised to find that just sharing your burden brings that sin, brings that stress, brings that depression. It brings it out of the darkness and into the light. Just the act of sharing, of confessing to one another, brings freedom. You were not meant to carry the burden alone. And if you're coming this morning for a good show, you're going to be disappointed. And I promise you there are better shows in town. But if you're coming to be part of a community where you are safe to share your burdens with one another, I believe you've come to the right place. And I believe you'll find your healing. I believe you'll find the freedom. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for the gentle reminder that I'm not perfect. And I hope everyone here does as well. I'm grateful for your amazing grace. That's the burden that I am so grateful that I have to carry. And I pray that we can be open with one another, that we can find safety within these walls to be able to share our burdens and carry each other's burdens. And so, Father, I pray that you'll allow your spirit to open those opportunities, allow us to be direct, allow us to be free, allow us to be bold without fear. Because of you, dear Lord, sending your only son to die on the cross. That's the reason. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.